Welcome to World Footprints Radio, the show where we celebrate responsible travel, culture, and heritage. Featuring your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Now, World Footprints Radio. Today, we're going to meet a living legend, discuss an iconic city's great comeback story, and explore the rhythm of gospel and art. Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the World Footprints Radio Show, the leading voice in socially responsible travel and lifestyle. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick, and along with my husband, Ian, we're excited to share some of the most transformative interviews we've ever experienced. Thanks, dear. On today's World Footprints, we are pleased to share a rare interview with a global Renaissance woman, Dr. Maya Angelou. Dr. Angelou stops by to share some wisdom, her journey, and her new book, Mom and Me and Mom. When I went to live with her at 13, uh, she, she surprised me. She, uh, she was sensitive. She never laughed at anybody. She didn't belittle anyone. Then we'll travel to the iconic city of Detroit and learn how this great American city is reinventing itself when we speak to Deanna Marchuk of Visit Detroit. All of these developments are proving that people believe in Detroit and people are supporting Detroit and that they see a viability and that um, there's going to be long-term positive effects. Finally, we'll explore the rhythm of gospel with artist Michelle Wood, a recipient of the American Library Association's Coretta Scott King Illustrator Award, and she'll take us into the heart and soul of African-American music. The women of uh, gospel music. Mm-hmm. Um, you have Shirley Caesar over a time period, and one person that I fought for was Rosetta Thorpe. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. And I'm Ian Fitzpatrick, and this is World Footprints. Visit and connect with us at worldfootprints.com. Of all the people we've talked to on our show, I've never been more excited to share today's special guest with our World Footprints audience. She is a phenomenal woman who knows why a caged bird sings and why all of God's children need traveling shoes. And despite life's challenges, she still rises. I'm referring to global renaissance woman, Dr. Maya Angelou. The author of several books, just a few of the aforementioned, Dr. Angelou is a professor, poet, performer, and recipient of a Presidential Medal of Freedom, among many other accolades. I'm very honored that Dr. Angelo is joining us today to share some wisdom, stories from her incredible life's journey, including her somewhat complicated relationship with her mother, Vivian Baxter, who was one of the most influential people in her life. Messages of courage, hope, forgiveness, and unlimited possibilities are what Dr. Angelo attributes many of her life's blessings to. In her new book, Mom and Me and Mom, Dr. Angelo allows us to travel vicariously through another segment of her life, and I'm very honored that she's spending some time with us today. Before we begin, I would like to pass along a warm hello from two of the strongest people I know, my mother, Nancy Peterson, and grandmother, 90-year-old Madeline Cunningham, both who are listening right now from Lansing, Michigan. Uh, they, They say hello, and if I had not shared that with you, I would have been in trouble. So, so thank you for allowing me to preserve those relationships. Please greet them warmly for me. Indeed. Your, your book, Mom and Me and Mom, is your seventh autobiography, but this is the first book that you've actually dedicated solely to your relationship with your mother, Vivian Baxter. 
I know you've mentioned her in other books, um, but why now? Why the seventh book? Well, I've been asked so many times in the last 25 years, how did I get to be Maya Angelou, whatever that is, to different people? How did I come from this to that? And how did I get out of that little village in Arkansas and out of the racial uh, ha- hassle and struggle and how did I come to be a, a person a person of the world, really? And I thought, it, it, my mother, I must give her so much of the credit. My grandmother, my brother, and my mother. But I noticed so many women who have difficulty with their mothers and, uh, and, and with their daughters. And I thought, if I'm right about how a mother love can liberate, uh, maybe somebody will... will take an idea, that idea, and, and enlarge upon it. Mm-hmm. I have, uh, I did some uh, reading cards for Hallmark years and years ago, and um, in one of them, I, I wrote, Mother Love Liberates. About seven or eight years ago, I was down in Miami at a bookstore, and a woman came up to me in the aisle uh, and said, you look just like Maya Angelou. She was about my age and my height. The only difference is uh, she was white. I said, I am Maya Angelou. And she started to weep. Mm. So she embraced me, embraced. She said, Miss Angelou, my daughter and I have been estranged for five years. But this past Christmas, she sent me a Christmas card which said, Mother Love Liberates. She said, I keep that card. I've kept that card by my bed on the nightstand. When I get up to make coffee, I take it to the counter. I take it in the living room, and I'm going to sit in the living room. She said, I know that this means my daughter and I are going to be reestablished. Our our love, our relationship is going to be stronger than ever before. I thought about that, especially since a poet, a man who had been nominated laureate of the United States was asked by journalists, what do you think about Maya Angelou writing reading cards? The man said, I'm so sorry Miss Angelou has reduced her art to greeting cards. And so after I thought of that, that and how that, the little two, two words, hmm. meeting a woman who may not read a book, but read that, those two words and hmm. how those words help to heal a broken relationship. I thought, let me write about my mom. That's beautiful. You know, in the title, as I was thinking about the title of your book, Mom and Me and Mom, it almost suggests that your relationship was transitional, that there were maybe two distinct relationships you've had with her throughout your life. Is that inaccurate? Yes, that's very true. At one time, I didn't even like her. I thought my brother and I had, had been abandoned by her and my father, and we just didn't really care for her. She's, every year or two, she'd send a a doll or or a truck down to us in Arkansas, and I would poke the eyes out of the doll, and Bailey would break the truck, because we just didn't. But when I went to live with her at 13, uh, she she surprised me. She, uh, She was sensitive. She never laughed at anybody. She didn't belittle anyone, mm. people who worked for her. And uh, 
And she talked kindly to me, and she didn't berate me if I did something wrong. She was on my side. Mm-hmm. When, when I received a bad grade in school, and she knew I was an A student, and she went to school, she didn't ask me what happened. She went to the school and asked the teacher, what are you doing? <laughs> so she let me know I had, a, I had an advocate. Mm-hmm. And it's, I began to really see her, her character, and I loved it. Mm-hmm. She started it, trying to imitate it. And, and, and I know some of the, the profound messages that she gave you growing up, um, and, and one in particular was one of courage. And I think one of the most important lessons she helped teach you was the power of forgiveness. Yeah. How did those two qualities, courage and the ability to forgive, impact your life? Well, I know this. You have to have courage to forgive. Quite often, the, the cowardly person, and I don't want to berate the person, but the person who hasn't developed courage will rather have the ills they bear than fly to others that they know not are. So that the, the person who doesn't have courage uh, uh, identifies herself to herself or to himself by saying, I'm the one that doesn't like uh, Chinese food. I'm the one who doesn't like uh, uh, the Mexican people. I'm the one. Instead of just saying, wait a minute, uh, let me, let me uh, get rid of this ignorance as soon as possible. But sometimes people think that if they, if they free themselves of their ignorance, they will be, have no, they will, they will have no character, they will have no personality. Mm-hmm. Who are you? Well, I'm the one, and then they start to t- describe themselves by their negatives. So you have to have courage to to um, allow the negative freedom and freedom from you. Allow yourself to be free of it. Mm-hmm. Once you do that, you have enough courage to forgive. You know, you, you touched on it, uh, something you just said really resonated um, with me. I mean, everything you're saying to me today resonates with me, but um, in particular with World Footprints, you know, we're a traveling lifestyle show, and our focus is really kind of bridging those those cultural gaps and and so when you were talking about people's misperceptions of other cultures um, you know it reminded me of your travels and you've traveled all over the world you've lived abroad um, in Egypt and in Ghana and I'm really fascinated um, by that experience and wondering you know obviously it's a different world today particularly in Egypt um, but what was your experience like living abroad and how did that experience change your perception of other cultures and of the world? Well, I've, I've tried to speak languages wherever I was and I've spoken, I've, I speak a number of languages and once you realize that, oh, this people, human beings are more alike than we are unalike. Oh, I see. I am hungry. I say it in English, well, the Mexicans said, yo tengo hambre. Ah, and and the French say, je femme. Ah, so everybody gets hungry. <laughs> and I'm afraid or I'm cold. So I found, oh, there really are no differences. There are cultural carryovers. There are no real differences between human beings. We all weep. We all laugh. We all uh, enjoy jokes. Mm-hmm. Most of us have some belief in something larger than ourselves. And uh, once I saw that... 
I, I realize I belong anywhere human beings are. Mm-hmm. If, uh, I don't know how we get along with zebras or, or fleas or anything like that. <laughs> but in a, in a company of human beings, I'm fine. I will keep my I, my ears open, my eyes open, and my mouth shut until I can learn something. Mm-hmm. So, so I can explain myself to someone. Mm-hmm. That's all. Is is there a destination, uh, Doctor Angelo, that really that where you really feel at home, that really resonates with you and really speaks to your soul? Sometimes when we travel, we find those places, and I'm wondering where yours is. Well, I really feel at home wherever I am according to my understanding of the language. I, I wrote a, a screenplay, and it was shot in Sweden. I wasn't allowed to direct it. A Swedish director who had never shaken hands with an African-American before uh, directed it, and he didn't understand so much. And so when it, when it premiered in New York, uh, I'm sorry to say one half the audience booed, and one half the audience who said hurrah. Uh, I didn't deserve either. So I knew this was 1972. I didn't know any place I could go and study filmmaking uh, at that time, a woman of my age. Uh, so I called the Svenska Film Institute and asked if, uh, if I could come and take a course in cinematography. And they said yes. I was told yes and welcomed. I went to Sweden. I took a course in cinematography in Sweden, in Swedish, in the winter. That was the wrong thing to do, the winter part. <laughs> but, but I took it, and I made all the mistakes in the language that one can make, but the people understood I was trying, and so they corrected me without berating me, and I felt very much at home. Hmm. Have you visited uh, Trinidad or Ireland? Or yes. Okay. Yes. I've not been visited Ireland. I've been invited to Ireland, but I've been in Wales and mm-hmm. and I've I've been in Trinidad and Jamaica and that. Yes. Have you discovered? Because I know that's the birthplace of your your grandfather in Ireland, the birthplace of your grandmother. I'm just wondering if you've discovered any other relatives uh, in no. in those places. I have not. I was thinking about that uh, in a, week, a week or so ago, thinking about asking the genealogist who, who uh, did a, a wonderful uh, search on my, my father's family. And uh, I was thinking about calling him and asking him to, to do the same thing for my mother's family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a museum in, in Los Angeles called the Hall of Tel- Tolerance. And they they chose four Americans to um, to do installations of their of their the houses in which they grew up. Mm-hmm. And the four the four of us are uh, Joe Torre, the baseball player, uh, Carlos Santana, the musician, Billy Crystal, the actor, and I. Mm. And there there are installations there you can go and see a lot about my father's people. That's a, that's a wonder. Thank you for sharing that because I'm sure some of our listening audience, you know, interested in discovering their heritage yeah. uh, would be interested in in, uh, in in this organization. 
think you have been blessed, and you've heard many times, you've been blessed with an extraordinary life, and you've been incredibly generous with sharing your life in full. Um, And so, you know, there may not be much that people don't know about you, but I think people, some people might be surprised to know that you've actually written country music. Oh, yes. (laughs) <laughs> I, have, uh, I have friends in the country world, country music world. Um, a year or so ago, Miss uh, Naomi Judd and uh, Martina McBride came here to my home in North Carolina and sang to me. Mm. And I have a, a memento given to me by Montgomery Gentry, that, that I call them my two cowboys. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, they gave me a wonderful guitar signed to me, and and I'm very friendly. I've I've gone to the uh, country music theater Hmm. and and to the opera house and and, uh, interviewed certain people and and introduced certain people to the audiences. So I'm a friend of of country music, and they are friends. Many of them are friends of mine. <laughs> you know, I, I also write I write songs with Miss Roberta Flack and mm-hmm. Quincy Jones and so forth. Mm. I, I've I've been like a sponge soaking up. You know, our time has been so short, and um, I'm dying to have you come back on our show, but I've been like a, a sponge, really soaking up all you have to offer, and I could really listen to you for many, many hours more, um, but uh, just to help me preserve yet another relationship, I have my 15-year-old little sister here from Michigan, who's been with me for the summer, and to let you know, you, you know, you have incredible multi-generational appeal. She's the one who actually kept pushing me to follow up on having you on her show. Um, but I would like to, you know, ask with this generation, the millennials, what is the best piece of advice you can offer children? of her generation to really kind of navigate the challenges that life will soon bring. I would ask them, please read. I know they live in a, in a new world, the world of technology. I know that they have the iPads and, and all these other things, laptops and so But I would love them to spend at least a few hours every week reading. It's it's amazing how you belong, the words belong to you, and you learn somehow to write them. So with your little sister, it would be a good thing. There's a book of mine called Letter of Poem, Poetry for Young Readers. I hope you'll get it. Please get it. I will. And give it to her. It's my poetry, and uh, and a friend of mine... uh, an editor it did the editing on it, and he has children and grands. And so I, I would re- really ask her, open a book of poetry, see if you can't find something that says something to your heart, mm-hmm. to your spirit. And as soon as you do, write a few words. Please. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Mr. Pat. Yeah, 
thank you, Dr. Angela. I, under, I do understand the joy that Bob Schieffer felt when you appeared on <laughs> Face the Nation. That was one of the most heartwarming exchanges between two people I've ever witnessed. Um, so I understand his joy, and you know, thank you for blessing me and our listening audience today. And again, there's so much more I'd, I'd love to talk to you about. We'll talk and again. I would, Please. yes, I'd love yes, to have I'm you back on our show. Indeed. Call me in six months, see if we have anything new to talk about. <laughs> and in the meantime, say hello, please, to Ms. Ian Fitzpatrick. I will, I will. Dr. Maya Angelou, it has been a tremendous pleasure. Thank you so much for joining Thank us you, today. And my blessings to your little sister. Oh, bless you. Thank you. And your mom and your grandma. Oh, won't forget them. They'll be there. They're, uh, they're doing a happy dance right now. <laughs> And thank you, Dr. Angelo. After the break, it's off to see what's new in America's comeback city, Detroit. All of these new developments are proving that people believe in Detroit and people are supporting Detroit and that they see a viability and that um, there's going to be long-term positive effects. Next, as World Footprints continues. Hello, my name is Minnie Johnson. I'm from Ann Arbor, Michigan. I really enjoy listening to the World Footprint radio show whenever I have an opportunity to do so. I've gained so much information from the show. New York State is a crazy place. Everybody knows it. and see it themselves 
to be able to experience this rebirth and this revitalization. Detroit obviously is making headlines because of the bankruptcy, and cities all have problems, and Detroit has its share. But when I think about Detroit, I think about all of the things that it's given our nation and the world, from the mass production car to Motown music, which we still enjoy to this day. How do you think Detroit can capitalize on its illustrious past and draw on that goodwill from so many places that's inspired so many people, perhaps in ways we haven't seen? You know, I feel like Detroit means something different for everyone. You know, there's a historic Detroit, and now there's the current Detroit, and moving forward. A lot of people think of Detroit, and they think of the auto industry. Well, now there's also the film industry. Right now, um, Transformers is filming downtown, so um, that's another industry. There's the urban farming movement. There's all these different other movements, and other tech and IT. There's all these um, IT companies coming down to Detroit, and all these new entrepreneurial spirits, and all these great companies and great people who are coming to make a difference. And um, it's not just about the auto industry anymore. Well, that is still very important to us. Um, there are just many changes, and it's not the you know hit the same old Detroit anymore. It's definitely a new Detroit with a great comeback story. Tourism is going to play a critical role in Detroit's turnaround as it uh, develops and continues to grow this this burgeoning industry that you're directly in, involved with. And there are a lot of new initiatives from the expansion of Cobo Hall to uh, new hotels that are going into some very historic buildings in Detroit to the recently announced plans to build a new arena for the Red Wings, just among a few things. How do you see all of these things uh, playing, perhaps in, in terms of that new tourism infrastructure to help give a new shot in the arm to Detroit. You know, all of these new developments are proving that people believe in Detroit and people are supporting Detroit and that they see a viability and that um, there's going to be long-term positive effects. People wouldn't be making all these developments and putting all this money into Detroit if they didn't think that um, we were going to be here, you know, down the road. So the new stadiums, the new restaurants, the new retail, um, Colo, you know, is a a very important um, factor on the meeting side of things. Um, and the new hotels, you know, the week of the bankruptcy, a brand new hotel opened up. So there's all these great things happening, and people really are investing and seeing the great potential of Detroit. And that's the one thing that I really like about Detroit is the fact that there's so many supporters behind us, whether, you know, we're in good times and in bad, there's always people backing Detroit, and people are always standing up for us. Mm-hmm. People like Dan Gilbert, who um, mm-hmm. we all well know, and you know, as I mentioned, he's actually he's done a, doing a lot in Detroit. He's the uh, chair of Quicken Loans. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of a casino mogul. He's doing a lot in Detroit. Talk a little bit about some of the things he's doing there. You know, Dan Gilbert has been very instrumental, um, especially in the past couple of years. Um, his company, Rock Ventures, has bought out probably over 20 buildings. Um, every day you reload, Dan Gilbert and Rock Ventures has bought a new building, which is really great because he's renovating them, renovating them for loss, retail space. Um, he's also um, part owner of Greektown Casino now. Um, and recently, um, I would say in the past couple of years, they brought down thousands of employees from the suburbs um, and still in a lot of those buildings. They also announced this summer this um, program called Opportunity Detroit. Mm-hmm. And what Opportunity Detroit is, um, which you might have seen last year in the World Series, there was this really great Kid Rock narrated um, television spot. And um, that kind of launched the whole Opportunity Detroit program. And they're transforming downtown into more of a vibrant um, friendly, welcoming, great urban neighborhood. And they're doing this by um, 
renovating the streets and renovating housing and adding additions, parking um, uh, structures, and just enhancing um, the downtown area and having more wayfinding. Um, now you're not just going to go walk down the street when you're going to a baseball game. You're going to walk down the street and you're going to see um, art installations or pop-up shops and new vendors. Um, they actually they have this program that they do called City Loft where... We have the Somerset Collection out in um, Troy, which is a high-end luxury mall, and they have taken up some space in one of the buildings downtown, and we have 40 pop-up shops um, from Somerset that are going to be open um, now. They actually just opened last week into the end of August, and um, so people can get that experience downtown, but, you know, because shopping is becoming, there's going to be more and more um, opportunities to have uh, shopping downtown, and this is just one of them. Mm -hmm. um, there's another shop called the Detroit Shop that's part of that as well, which is, uh, sells all these great Detroit products and Detroit memorabilia and apparel, and um, that all goes towards charity. And this happens now in the summer, and then they also open up um, around the holidays as well. You know what seems so exciting to me, Deanna, is that, you know, as I listen to you talk and, and hear about all the great things going on in Detroit, um, I'm reminded of another city that Ian and I have a special place in our heart for as well, New Orleans, and how that city has come back, you know, from Katrina um, most prominently and, you know, in the building that they're doing out there. And it seems like, you know, and the city's only coming back because people love New Orleans. And that seems to be what's going on in Detroit. And I find that very exciting, you know, and I, when I think about the downtown area and even going beyond the downtown area with some of the new developments and, and what have you, is that kind of how the city is starting to grow? Do you see that as well? Definitely. And I've heard that comparison um, uh, a couple times before as well. It has a lot to do with the people. People in Detroit are very passionate. Um, their city means a lot to them, and they're not going to let people say bad things or negative things. Um, the people in Detroit are just very friendly. You walk down the street and people say hello, or you recognize different people that you see all the time. And it's just, there's just something about Detroiters, and it's like that with our sports fans, too, here. We could be the worst um, team in the world, but people still go and support our teams. Deanna, as uh, Tanya touched on earlier, there's this uh, public-private partnership that really is uh, taking place to move things forward in Detroit. And I'm referring to the M1 Rail Project that they've put money into that really is going to bring a new asset to Detroit to really connect some of these neighborhoods from Midtown and Wayne State University to downtown and the riverfront. Give people a sense of what's really happening there in Detroit's DNA to really bring forth some of these things that haven't been seen there in decades. You know, I think it still just comes down with the love from all these people who have the love and the support of Detroit, and they see it as such an important city. Um, and something like the M1 Rail is really important, um, especially for visitors to be able to get around downtown. And this is going to be great. They just picked their um, firm this week, so it sounds like in the fall they're going to start breaking ground. And mm -hmm. it's going to um, kind of be like back in uh, the olden days where they had the streetcars. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to have a streetcar all the way from Hart Plaza up to New Center connecting the different neighborhoods. Um, from the New Center area to downtown. So for visitors, people working downtown, um, people who live downtown, they're going to be able to easily get up and down Woodward Avenue. And just seeing this private investment um, really shows that people see Detroit having a uh, 
viable future. Now, how long have you been in Detroit, Deanna? Are you a native? Yes, I've grown up, um, I grew up in the suburbs, I've been here my entire life, and I've worked for the Convention Bureau for eight years. Okay, and so as a local, where do you like to go? And if, if we have a listener, um, you know, thinking, well, why should I go to Detroit? How would you answer them? Well, um, I want them to come to Detroit so they can really see the real Detroit and not just see, you know, all the things that, that on the negative side that people see uh, or that people talk about or that you hear about in the news. Um, the first place I would tell them to go would be the riverfront. Mm-hmm. Um, it's absolutely amazing. You guys have seen it. Um, it just, I think it blows people away because most people don't realize that we have um, a completely revitalized riverfront. Over three and a half miles has been renovated or has been revitalized. Um, it's a beautiful river walk. You can bike. And there's a bike shop right there that you can um, rent bikes from and they do tours. Um, there's a carousel. You can walk, jog. They have um, problems for the kids. And it's just a very, it's a very active area. I was there recently on a Tuesday, and there was a running club. Um, they have a uh, yoga group. I was there the other day doing a bike tour, and there is now a new volleyball court. Um, and they have beach chairs all along the riverfront. So there's all of this activity and vibrancy um, that you can go and explore. And most people, when they think Detroit, they don't think of, you know, of us having a, uh, an open riverfront. And and how about for, for you, for locals, if people wanted to experience Detroit as a local, where would you tell them to go? Greektown is definitely a favorite just because of all the activity and um, how it's always bustling um, all, times of, all times of day. Um, they have a lot of great Greek restaurants there and a variety of other um, cuisines as well. There's the casino right there. And then in walking distance is um, our Foxtown area and the stadium area, which uh, the Fox Theater is beautiful. It's great to go see a show. Comerica Park, um, not only for baseball, but just the park is a beautiful park with all the tiger statues and they have a Ferris wheel that's uh, baseball themed and a carousel that's tiger themed. So if you're not into baseball, you can still check out all the other um, activities. Um, so that area is a really great area. And then another area um, that I've been doing a lot more exploring of lately has, is the Midtown area, which is just north of the downtown area. And it's really probably one of the the most developed areas um, in the downtown area as of as of lately with all the new shops it has. They just opened up a new Whole Foods there, which is the first Whole Foods um, uh, in Detroit ever. And um, so it's, what, yet again, another company that is seeing a future with Detroit. We certainly know Detroit is one of America's greatest sports cities, having hosted two Super Bowls, NCAA Final Fours, and basketball. And next year, Hockey Town is going to host the NHL's Winter Classic, which will bring a quarter of a million people to Detroit and Ann Arbor to the big house to watch uh, the Red Wings and the Toronto Maple Leafs play. And I think those events really speak to the ability of Detroit to bring in people from all over and really host a lot of these huge events that can't be staged in a lot of other cities. And I think it really speaks to the power of this Detroit brand. It definitely does. And especially with hockey, with us being known as Hockey Town, mm-hmm. I mean, where else would you want to have the Winter Classic? Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're really excited that that's going to be happening downtown. Um, there's going to be a winter festival. You know, with us being a winter city, we're used to the weather. But I don't know if everyone else always is, so we embrace it. Like we did Super Bowl with the Motown Winter Blast. We embrace the winter um, season, and um, they're going to have a lot of great activities all through the month of December and just pretty much celebrating um, the Red Wings and um, our hockey heritage. <laughs> you know, and you raise a, a very interesting point because I was thinking, you know, again, the comparison between Detroit and New Orleans, there's always something going on in New Orleans. 
and, and same with Detroit. I mean, there's tons of festivals in that city, but I thought to myself, well, except the wintertime. Um, but um, you just you just dispelled that myth in my head. So there's uh, there's Detroit, I guess uh, you could say, is a seasonal or, uh, or year-round um, city then with, yeah, with all of these festivals. It definitely is, and with all the different activities, like I said, we embrace the wintertime, whether we like it or not. Um, people embrace it. People go um, skiing on the riverfront, um, cross-country skiing, um, and then, you know, you walk and jog and bike there in the summertime. So there's all these different activities and all these different festivals. Um, the car festivals are really, um, have really revved up this summer, um, with it being the nicer month. And, like, the River Dream Cruise is coming up in a couple weeks, um, and they just had the Concord Delegance. And then Labor Day weekend is jam-packed with different festivals, from um, the Jazz Festival, Arts Beat Foods, the Peach Festival, and then the Michigan State Fair. So we really do have a jam-packed um, schedule of events for people to come and see all year round, no matter what the season is. Yeah, and I want to circle back to something you mentioned uh, a little bit earlier, the Urban Farming Initiative, and that's one of the sustainable initiatives. I mean, there's several going on in the city. Can you talk a little bit about the Urban Farming um, Initiative and, and some of the other sustainable initi- initiatives that are going on in the city? You know, urban farming seemed to have become very popular in the past couple of years, and um, especially in Detroit, because there's all these vacant um, areas and all these vacant land. I was like, well, what do you do with it? Let's turn it into an urban farm. So um, even downtown, like right next to Lafayette, Coney Island, um, um, there is a urban farm that was created by the Congular Corporation. Um, and you can go down there and volunteer your time and take some of the uh, some of the produce that's created and the rest of it goes towards um, people in need and you can just go sit there eat your lunch it's just a beautiful space and you I guess you wouldn't expect that in the middle of you know a downtown area mm-hmm. um, out in midtown there was an urban farm next to one of the restaurants and they used the herbs and some of the other spices in the food um, there's another one um, that I've been to to Earthworks um, that goes towards the Capuchins so there's all these different urban farms and all these different programs the Greening of Detroit um, all these organizations that are um utilizing all of this extra space that we have um, in Detroit to help the homeless, help people in need. Um, so it's really a great movement. Well, speaking of urban farming, that actually is a good segue into talking about the food scene and what's happening in terms of coffee shops and restaurants that are opening in the city. Yeah, when it comes to coffee shops, it seems like there's a new one on every single corner. Almost, there's all the new uh, coffee shops from, there's one that is the only one that is outside of New York City. They only have them there, and then they were Detroiters. They just decided to move on and have it um, in Detroit. Um, and that one's called the Roasting Plant. Uh, there's Shazana, which was in a different building. Now it's in the Madison building, and that was something that uh, Dan Gilbert and Quick and Loans helped out with. Um, Great Lakes Coffee Roasting Company, those are popping up all over town. Um, and then Urban Beans, so there's all these different local um roasters and local coffee shops, not just Starbucks anymore, but when you go to Detroit, you're going to see all these other shops. And then when it comes to restaurants, it's like new restaurants are opening up every day. Today, I just went to Rodan, which is over by um, the DIA, and also on that strip, they have good girls go to Paris Crepes, which is really good. Um, Another favorite is Green Dot Stable, which they've been around for about a year now, and they do really good sliders of all these different, like probably 20 different sliders. I've had a lot of them. They're really good. (laughs) 
Um, there's Slow in Corktown, which is a favorite. It's uh, barbecue. Across the street is Mercury Burger Bar with a variety of different burgers. Um, and in Greektown, there's all the Greek restaurants. There's a new one called Santorini. Um, and the nice thing about Detroit is whatever cuisine you're looking for, you can find it. From Greek to Mexican to Mediterranean to um, Polish, um, Italian, every anything you can you can ever you want whatever you're in the mood for you can easily find it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also noticed there's a lot of different um, some chains that have been moving downtown. But one unique thing is there aren't a lot of chains. Um, there are a lot of privately owned and uh, entrepreneurial owned uh, restaurants. And so we have noticed like there's an Olga's now. There's a couple of Wild Wings. The Bagger Days is coming downtown. So I feel like those coming downtown as well is showing that support and the viability of the city. Deanna, you know, thinking um, forward, will there be an opportunity or any type of a transportation system that would take people, say, from downtown to um, one of the suburbs or some of the suburbs like uh, Dearborn so they can experience, you know, that history too, the Greenfield Village, the Henry Ford Museum? Will will there be any type of um, uh, transportation or, or public transportation that will connect visitors who come to Detroit who want to also see, you know, go outside of the city to, to experience any other things? You know, that's something that we still need to work on. Um, and as of right now, there's nothing in the works with M1 Rail. That was the original plan, but due to funding, um, it's only downtown. So hopefully in the near future, there'll be um, a plan for that. I did hear there's talks about um, some transportation to and from the airport, but that is one thing that um, being the motor city, um, being built on the city that uh, where Clark came from, it is definitely a city that you, you need a car for. Because um, <laughs> in the history, that's what you need. You know, you, you build the cars, you want people to be driving around in your cars. So um, now I feel like that transformation is happening, mm-hmm. especially with the, uh, we're a very bike-friendly city, so you can get around downtown, you know, using the bike, using the Detroit People Mover and the M1 Rail, but um, definitely connecting the suburbs is something that I think in, in the near future uh, will happen. Mm-hmm. And I can tell our listeners, you know, having uh, spent a good part of my life in, in adult life and childhood in Detroit and um, the last 10 years I've spent here, it's so much easier to drive in Detroit than it is around the Beltway. And so um, I'm not bothered about having to take a car from downtown to the suburbs. But, uh, Deanna, thank you uh, so much for, for joining us today on World Footprints. Deanna Mychek, uh is the Media Relations Manager for the Detroit Convention and Visitors Bureau. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Next, Coretta Scott King illustrator Michelle Wood takes us on an illustrative journey inside the world of gospel through a groundbreaking book, I See the Rhythm of Gospel. The women of uh, gospel music. Um, you have Shirley Caesar over time period, and one person that I fought for was Rosetta Thorpe. Next as World Footprints continues. Hi, my name is Timothy Kendrick. I'm Grace Kendrick. And we love World Footprints Radio. And I'm a transplant from Michigan here in Vancouver and loving it. We love the radio. Thank you. 
Visit the Galapagos Islands, meet polar bears in Canada, sip wine in northern Italy, explore the Hawaiian Islands aboard a luxury yacht, and stand face-to-face with China's terracotta soldiers. Explore the world on a journey of a lifetime with World Footprints Discovery Tours. These tours give a unique view of the world in an intimate, small group setting with the freedom to immerse yourself in local culture, learn, and make new friends along the way. Book early and save. Visit worldfootprints.com and look for Discovery Tours to begin your next adventure today. Insure I'm from Manitoba. Woo, Manitoba. I love listening to World Footprints Radio. It rocks my socks. You're listening to World Footprints Radio, awarded as the best travel audio podcast by the North American Travel Journalists Association. Here's Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to World Footprints. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. Michelle Wood is an artist whose work reflects a deep sense of history and place. As a painter, illustrator, designer, and writer, she has gained wide recognition and has earned multiple awards, including the prestigious American Book Award for her first book, Going Back Home. She's also won a Coretta Scott King Illustrator Award from the American Library Association for her book, I See the Rhythm. And Michelle's artistry explodes in a new book, I See the Rhythm of Gospel, and we're so pleased to welcome her to our show. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you for having me. This book, this new book, it, it, the colors are so vibrant, and we love this book. And I understand this is really the first time the art form of gospel music has been blended with black history in a book. What led you and your, your partner in rhythm, I'm calling her, uh, Toyomi, I guess, to, to create this work? Hmm. Um, this is kind of uh, a different journey. Um, how we got started or how I got started is that an idea had came to me. Um, it was backwards. Our format is backwards where the writing, the artists come first and then the writing comes afterwards. And in this book, it was the idea of I wanted to do gospel and I felt it in my spirit to do it. And I sat on the idea for about a year until I approached Toy. Um, we met in San Diego and decided to work together as we talked about the project. Um, so that's how it initially came about. The book covers some monumental moments in black history, stretching way back to the beginning of slavery in the, in the 1500s. How were you able to condense this history into an illustrative picture book? There is so much history, it's very hard to narrow that down because we have to weigh out who had the most influence at that time period, um, who stood out more than others, and uh, because there's so many musicians, as you look at the time period that uh, came about and that had influence, and some lasted more decades than others, and more influence, like the the women of uh, gospel music. Mm-hmm. Um, you have Shirley Caesar of her time period, and one person that I fought for was Rosetta Thorpe, because when I saw her and read her life story and then saw some, you can go on YouTube and see videos of her and listen to her guitar and the people that she influenced, it was, she was very radical, reminding me of... of of uh, how they used to say about Bo Diddley when he went to uh, chess, chess records after he went to VJ records, and they said he was too radical, and then he goes to chess record and he blows up. But 
when you have uh, Rosetta Tharp and you listen to her guitar playing, where she had that uh, blues influence, but she brought that gospel sound, mm-hmm. and she was just. She was just a, a pioneer of her time, and she was before her time to me. So we looked for pioneers and people who were out front, um, and that's how we narrowed it down. It was very difficult for us, but the things that I put in my paintings, I tried to translate. I have to look at clothes. I have to look at the time period. I have to look at, um, like in the 50s, it's more pastels or it's how the buildings were. And, or, and I didn't want to focus on just the musicians. I wanted to focus on the people as well. The reflection, just like I see the rhythm, it was a reflection of that time period, of that decade, and of the people. And that's what we wanted to really focus more on than not just the musician, but what affected, you know, what was going on during that decade. This book really is transcendent of just the uh, experience of African Americans from a, from a religious standpoint. It covers the totality of history and it connects it to so many things that have happened around the world. How did yes. you arrive at the approach for tying in early history from the 15th century to the arrival of Barack Obama in 2008? That was quite a journey, as uh, you alluded to earlier. Yes, it is a journey, but it's our history. It's America's history. And um how do we arrive at that point is you start from the beginning um, and starting from Africa and the influence of Africa on American, you know, American music and how um, the um, the call and response that you have in the music and the drums and, and uh, everything is all connected to one. You even have... Um, where the we even get to jazz, where there's a little bit of influence there, where you have a Thomas Dorsey. I'm going through so many things that are going through my mind. I have Thomas Dorsey, where his influence was that rhythm sound, was the blues sound, but it got into gospel, and he um, and that's where he found it with gospel in 1930, 1932. I'm trying to think of all the dates. You just have to go through all the research and and try to incorporate as much as possible and connect the dots as much as possible as you can but we're all connected even from this rhythm the holy hip-hop you find those rhythms those same rhythms are still in the music and it's like the core of the music the core of the beat um and it's like the timekeeper the drummer is the timekeeper so it's it's um all linked together how does one go about capturing history and distilling it to a a single image how is that challenge for you i don't see my my work as just a single image because it's a continuation from one image to another like the image that is about slavery and about harriet tubman and in that you do have a little girl that's in the back of it her name is missy and she's going through the journeys with you and she's going through each page as you go through it I mean, this little girl, as you mentioned, it goes through kind of vicariously the history with the the characters that you painted, and I love as a, as a little girl, I've always loved those um, those the puzzles and those pictures where you have to find the you know images within mm-hmm. images, and there's a couple of pages you did such a masterful job of of camouflaging her um there's, there's <laughs> look for the pigtails yeah that's the key that's the giveaway look for the pigtails 
Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, Missy is based on me. And my nickname, when I was a little girl, name is Missy. And the only people that will call me Missy are family members. So till this day, if I go out and someone says Missy, I know that it's a family member. And uh, my mother called me Missy, and she would tell me and always encourage me, there's more to see than Indiana. There's more outside your boundaries. So uh, my mother didn't work in, um, uh, she didn't have uh, a lot of money, but when she did, she would take me to New York, or she'll take me to the Bahamas or Kings Island, or wherever she could take me, Chicago, to the Science Museum. She would just take me and show me there's more to see. So... And putting it in I See the Rhythm, I also, you know, start noticing that it was in my other paintings. Like in going back home, Missy's there sitting on her aunt's knee, Mm -hmm. and she's getting her hair braided. So subconsciously, I did it at first. It wasn't a conscious decision to do it. And, I, you know, as I noticed in some of my paintings, she just continued to appear. And just like in another book I did, Just Like Me, uh, I talked about myself because we wanted to do self-portraits. There's 14 different artists doing self-portraits. But Missy just uh, came about more subconsciously, and then now she's just a fabric. She's there all the time. <laughs> I'm more noticing her, and I'm more comfortable in uh, presenting her. And and um, telling people that's me, that that's Missy as a little girl. One of the aspects that makes this a really contemporary book is the CD that, just as the book covers the gamut of the African American experience through music, talk about how the music and the book really come together to tell this story. The music is very important to the book, and that was one of the things that we wanted for the book because I See the Rhythm, uh, we had such a large request to have a CD because it was used. Uh, we, as we go into different schools, teachers will request for us to bring music, or people would request that we have music for this particular book. And we wanted you to be able to go through the decades and that you'll be able to have the music uh, because you, you learn so many, on so many different levels. You learn visually. You learn by reading. You learn um, by hearing. And by hearing that music and having the visual as well as Toy's wonderful writing, this is just three ways for you to learn. Michelle, one of the things that is remarkable from my standpoint about the book is that it really takes one all over the world from Bronzeville on Chicago's south side to Harlem to South Africa. It touches on a lot of places that speak to me. And you spoke about the impact of some of these travels that uh, even with uh, your mom on modest means that you were able to experience the world, uh, even relatively close to Indianapolis. And so this is a very powerful book in that regard for those who may not have the means, but they can begin to see the connections from so many of these important places all over that have had a say, not just in African-American history, but in black history and African history. Yes, yes. Yes. Well, in black history, and as well as, you know, and I say very much that it's America's history, because I don't pinpoint it to just to say it's black history. America is, is such a melting pot. 
and it's our history. And I want also children to be proud, African-American children, to be proud of their history and their contribution to society. It's, it's so much that we've done, mm-hmm. and it's so much that we've uh, that we've captured in this book and so much to be proud of. And I look at the faith, you know, we had to have had so much faith and that's so much that you can embody is to have, you know, faith and to believe and to believe in a future, to believe that there's something better and to keep pushing and keep pushing and push through slavery and depression and and um, as a, and then the civil rights movement and just keep going until we're here today and we're still pushing forward. And, uh, and it's amazing how much strength that we have as people, mm-hmm. you know, and that we were growing and we have a black president now. But look at the person that prayed before, the person that had the faith and to get through those troubled times to get to where we are today. And I am so thankful for those that have gone before us and for those that are paving the way today. Indeed. And, you know, I was going to ask you, kind of touching on the the gospel uh, theme of this book, I was going to ask you what you hope and want readers to take away from from reading this book. And if part of um, what you desire is just a... Uh, an acknowledgement and um, an appreciation for, um, you know, the the Lord in in our lives and in in the grace that that we we He gives us every day. Is that mm-hmm. part of part of uh, what you? That is part of it. I mean, that is part of me and my fabrication, that I had so much faith in in the ability because I came from my mother. She had so much strength and she had so much faith and hope, and she always told me to have hope and to have faith. And I want people to come come away with this with an exploration that, and that they have explored um, a little bit, a taste of our history, because there's so much more that we didn't incorporate, um, and that they have an appreciation for our culture as, you know, a little more than they did before Mm -hmm. and that they'll be proud, especially the children. They're proud of that history Um, because I always say that you got to know where you came from in order to know where you're going. Mm -hmm. Indeed. I kind of, uh, I kind of feel that there is perhaps another, I have a rhythm book coming up at some point. Am am I, uh, am I off base or what do you have coming next? Um, we're we're talking about some things now, uh-huh. and we're we're trying to move forward. We both are on some uh, different schedules right now. We're coming back together, and we are going to put um, uh, some things together. And hopefully, you know, in the near future, we'll have something. I'm I'm uh, I'm. I'm being prayerful about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we, I hope I danced around that. <laughs> well, we, we, we look, we look forward to uh, to whatever you're doing next, uh, Michelle. But, uh, but uh, I, I see the rhythm of gospel is a wonderful book, and I thank you for coming on our show today to to share to share your your artistry and the history. Thank you so much for having me. It was my pleasure being on your show. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Dr. Maya Angelou, and we hope we've enticed you to visit Detroit and explore the rhythm of gospel. 
If you want more of World Footprints Radio, including our World Footprints Travel Report, giving you the latest breaking travel news every day, visit us at worldfootprints.com. And while there, explore our World Footprints Discovery Tours to find your journey of a lifetime to some of the most remarkable places on this planet. Also, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on your favorite social network. We're Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we wish you blue skies and purposeful travel that leaves positive footprints one step at a time. Hi, guys. My name is Sandy Best, the Sandy Best from Lake Louise. Where's Lake Louise? It's in Alberta. Alberta's in Canada. Banff National Park. Natural beauty. The only place you should go with is World Footprints Radio, because they spend their time looking at those special places that are not tourist traps, that are not thousands of people. For the best on the planet, go with World Footprints Radio. This has been a presentation of World Footprints Media, all rights reserved.